Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We do want to, uh, as already prayed about this morning, uh, continually remind each of us to uh, be praying and thinking about who you're going to invite, and go ahead and be inviting. And let's make sure that we do everything that we can do to speak a good word for the Lord. And one way to do that is by inviting folks to come and be a part of our Friends Day. It'll be the last Sunday of the month, only a few more weeks away. So be sure and be planning on that. Look forward to that. Invite them to go to lunch with you afterwards. Uh, uh, take them to a restaurant or have them over to your house. Uh, have all of us over to your house. Just make sure that you do everything that you can do to make it a great success. We do have a lot of families that are hurting. Uh, we have some of our members that are so seriously ill right now. Uh, we have... Uh, members that have passed away and, and our uh, members of family members have passed away in the last few weeks. And let's be sure that we're reaching out in every way that we can uh, to weep with those who weep and to offer comfort and support in every way that we can and every way that we should. A gentleman stepped off the sidewalk onto the street just as soon as he left the curb, he heard a car screeching around the corner. A little bit anxious about the speed of the car, he speeds up his pace to go into the next lane. And as he does, that car shifts and comes right for his lane. Now really nervous, seeing that he's still in the path of this car, he turns back and he makes his way back to, toward the sidewalk. And as he does, the car immediately shifts lanes again. And now is in his lane again, coming right for him. The man is so afraid at this point he freezes car screeches to a stop, pulls up beside him. The driver rolls down the window. It's a squirrel driving. And the squirrel says, not as easy as it looks, is it? You know, when you think about a squirrel imitating a human driver, there's a little bit of humor to that. But you know, there is a type of imitation that is natural and the Lord uses it to teach an example to say all of us ought to work on this type of imitation. When you look at the text again, notice in the fifth chapter in verse 1 where he says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. I guess that since the beginning of time, the first children that were born upon this earth they began to imitate their parents. All of us have imitated uh, adults that we looked up to our, in, in our life as we were little ones. Most of us imitated our parents. Uh, we, we see a son go out, and if his father enjoys working on a vehicle, he'll go out and get his dad's tools, and he'll pretend that, that he's working on it. Uh, we've seen little boys pretend like they're shaving their face just as they watch their father we see little girls, they, they want to get the bowls out and, and they want to cook. They've seen their mother, they've seen their grandmother do this. And what's interesting about all of this is no one has to sit down and say to them, we want you to start imitating your parents. It's something they naturally long to do. The truth is, it's a part of the learning process. So much of what our toddlers learn, they learn because they're trying to imitate those that they see and the way they say things, the way they do things, and what they do, and their schedule for the day, and etc. And so it is the Lord takes that and says, I want you to be an imitator of God. I want you to have that desire, just like little children, 
to grow and to be more like God would have us to be. Jack Neal in London purchased on eBay a pink convertible. Paid about 9,000 pounds for it, about $17,000 in U.S. currency. Now, that, that was a fair enough price, but what was interesting was that he was only three years old. You see, he'd watched his mother go on eBay, and he'd watched the buttons that she had clicked, and at three years of age, and probably with a little bit of luck, he was able to go and to follow her once she was online and be able to navigate his way back in, and he successfully bid and purchased the car. Imitators. When we look at the fifth chapter, it's really unfortunate that there's a chapter break here. Keep in mind, it's man that put in the chapter breaks. And to fully appreciate this passage, we have to drop back and look at what we've been studying last week. Do you see there in the fifth chapter in verse 1 where it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Remember that the therefore, we have to look and say, it is linking what has just been said with what is about to be said. And what he's teaching is, I want you to be imitators of God. And then in this paragraph, he's going to say, I want you to walk in love. In the next paragraph, he's going to say, I want you to walk in light. In the next paragraph, he's going to say, I want you to walk in wisdom. Now, all of this is, is a different walk from what he had taught previously. If you have your Bible open, I hope you do. It's on page 1040 in your pew Bible that's there in front of you. But look on Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And notice again, verse 17, we read last week about a different walk. In 4 and 17, he says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And remember, they walked in the futility of their mind. They walked with a dark understanding. They walked in blindness of their heart. And so he developed for a few paragraphs there to say, don't walk as the heathens walk. Don't walk in that way. And notice in verse 19, the heathens walk in a way that their past feelings, in other words, their conscience is seared, and they give themselves over to lewdness, that was inciting lust, and to work all uncleanliness with greediness or with covetousness. The answer was to learn Christ. And as they learned Christ, they were going to live a life at the end of 24 of true righteousness and true holiness. Then he spoke about some things that needed to be done away with. Already he's talked about the life of immorality. Now, beginning in verse 25, he lists some specific things. How are you going to use the tongue? Lying or telling the truth? And then in 29, are you going to use the tongue with corrupt words or are you going to use your tongue to build up? Going deeper into 31, he says, don't use your tongue for evil speaking. But instead in 32, use your tongue to be kind to one another. Let it express the tender-hearted ways. Forgive one another. Now, all of that is said, and he says, therefore, be imitators of God. In other words, he said, here's this heathen life that I want you to do away with. I want you to put off the old man, and I want you to learn Christ and put on the new man. Well, if we put on this new man, what's our focus? What's our direction? Our direction has to be God. Now, please note in verse 1, he said, to be imitators of God. It may not seem like much, but there's a difference in imitating God and to be an imitator of God. This morning we could say we're going to play a game of follow the leader. 
And we could put five or six in a row here and whatever the first one did, the second one would imitate and the third one would imitate and the fourth one would imitate and they would do various things and they would imitate each other and then we'd say, okay, game is over and everybody would stop imitating each other. They'd go about their way. Friends, this morning I need to realize that the Lord is not calling us to be just imitators in the sense we're religious. We'll imitate God or we'll imitate God's people whenever we come together to church on, on Sunday or maybe on Wednesday. Or we'll imitate whenever we're around other Christians. The question at the beginning of this lesson that I need to ask myself, am I an imitator of God? Period. Is that my life? Is that the way I live at work and at school? Is that the way I live in my, uh, among my family? Am I an imitator of God? God isn't playing games. He's not saying, I want you to play follow the leader and I'm the leader only a few times a week. God wants us to change our walk. Stop walking like the heathens and take on an entirely new walk. And when we take on that new walk, God is the one that we focus on to learn how to walk and do it as dear children. Children that love to follow the leader. They love to look up to those uh, that are their fathers and to be molded and to grow more like them. Now, what's this walk going to look like? Look in verse 2 and 3, and we see that we are to walk in love. Again, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, notice verse 2, and walk in love, and now we see it's as Christ who loved us and given himself for us, and then he talks about that relationship with the Father, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, as we think about this walk in love that we're to have, he says, I want you to walk, imitator of God, imitating Christ. Well, how did Christ walk? Christ loved us. If we're going to imitate God, we have to love one another. You remember John, the 13th chapter? Verse 34, a new commandment that I've given to you that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, he's saying in this passage, he's saying in several passages, I want you to love each other and I want you to learn how to love each other by seeing how Jesus loved one another when Jesus was on this earth. Now, he stated that in John 13 and 34 and 35, just after he washed the feet and just before he was going to the cross. A second thing I need to learn about this walk in love is that our love has to be whole, wholly dedicated to God. Notice it was an offering and a sacrifice that was a sweet smelling aroma to God. If you and I would have lived under the old covenant times, we would have probably thought that some of the burnt sacrifices stunk. If you want to just describe them from a physical standpoint, there probably would not have been much attractive in the odor of burning an animal. But you see, what they were looking for was spiritual fulfillment. And so that was described in Leviticus and Deuteronomy as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Here, Jesus says, I want to offer my life. And I want this offering to be a sweet aroma to God. Friends, there's a lot of times that you and I may think, this is tough. 
I don't want to have to sacrifice my will. But because we are imitators of God and we're walking in love as Christ loved others and loved His Father, we must sacrifice at all times our will for the will of the Father. And so when we talk about walking in love, it's not this emotional description that says, well, all the time I'm bouncing on the, my toes and every day is a good day and I just say loving things to everybody. He's talking about our heart. Are we willing to serve one another as Jesus served one another? Are we willing to sacrifice our will for the will of the Father? But now notice this. This walk in love is not finished with this. There is more to be described. Look at the next two verses as we see this walk in love as he describes the walk of saints. In verse 3, he lists three things, beginning with but. In other words, there's something you need to consider if you're going to walk in love. But fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Now notice this word fitting, as is fitting for saints. That word fitting comes up again in the next verse, in verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. It's not fitting for saints. Giving, but rather giving of thanks. If we're going to turn away from walking as the heathen, and by the way, did you notice how similar that list of three things there, fornication, uncleanliness, covetousness, and if you want to glance back, look in the fourth chapter in verse 19. He mentioned the past feelings and then the lewdness, inciting lust. That's very similar in, in what it leads to, a fornication. And then he mentioned in 19 of the fourth chapter, all uncleanliness, and then greediness, or in other words, covetousness. You see, Paul has not changed the subject matter from the fourth chapter to the fifth chapter. In the fourth chapter, he addressed that road that's leading in the wrong direction to say, you need to leave this road. Stop walking that direction. And turn an about face and start imitating God and walk in love. Love one another as Jesus loved one another. Love the Father as Jesus loved the Father. Now, now that you've done that, you're going to have to walk in what is appropriate, what is fitting to saints. How do saints walk? First, let's ask this question. Are you comfortable with being called a saint? There are denominations that have totally redefined the idea of being a saint. And because of what they've done, there are many that do not know what the Scriptures teaches about being a saint, and so they're uncomfortable with the idea of being called a saint. Friends, the idea that one has to be deceased and they'd have to live above average life of spirituality and that they'd be voted into sainthood, that is not found anywhere in the Scriptures. That is 100% a doctrine of man. The idea of being a saint as taught by God Saint has to do with holy. It has to be with those that are set apart to live a life that is different. 
that is no doubt why Paul chose to use the word saint here if you put the fourth and the fifth chapter together because these individuals, he's saying, they had been walking like the heathens. They've been on the wrong road. They were right in the middle of the world. And what they needed to do was stop walking like the heathens and start walking toward God, imitators of God. And now they are living a life that is set apart. Why? Because the uncleanliness and the fornication and the covetousness of the heathen is no longer a part of the life of the traveler that is known as the saint. When we're traveling from here to heaven, we're a pilgrim of God. We are a saint. We're not practicing those same things. As a matter of fact, when he mentions fornication, uncleanliness, and covetousness, he even says... Let it not even be named among you. That even gives off the sense that he's saying, not only do I want you to not practice it, I don't want you to do it once. And not only do I not want you to do it once, I don't want it to be such that other people could even know about it or assume it And even say that it's happening. Don't let it be named among you. We live in a world where more people in America today believe that fornication is morally accepted than don't. Now the question is, and that's proven by statistics, Barna Research... The question is, have we fallen into that category? There's close to one out of ten Christians that by definition believe that Christ should be actively involved in their day-to-day life and one out of ten of those Christians believe that even though Christ ought to be involved in forming their day-to-day life, they do not believe that fornication is wrong. What about uncleanliness? What about pornography? What about physical acts that do not go all the way to the point of fornication, but yet nevertheless, they're just as sinful as fornication? All uncleanliness. What about immodesty? That's definitely a part of uncleanliness. The scriptures teaches us that'll lead to lust, that that will lead to fornication, but it's sin alone. It's not Sin only because what it leads to. It is sin in and of itself. So I have to stop and ask myself a question. Do I believe God when God says that saints will not have these things listed among them once? Don't even have it named among you. Well, I only have a few immodest outfits. I only dress immodestly when I'm at the the fill-in-the-blank. That's not living a life as a saint. Well, I wouldn't commit fornication with just anybody. It's only those that I'm serious in a relationship with them. The Lord makes it very clear the paths 
we have to decide which path we're going to walk. Not only does he do this with issues of morality or immorality, he also does it with the tongue. It's interesting that the very next verse, he talks about three usages of the tongue that are negative and one that's positive. And he says again, we have to decide if we're going to travel this road of those that imitate God, those that walk in love, those that do the, uh, live out the conduct that is fitting to those who are saints. Now notice again, if you have your Bible there in verse 4, the first that he mentions in 4 is neither filthiness, obscenities. And what's interesting is, in the root study of this word, obscenities is also linked with shamefulness. But you see, we live in a society that uses obscene words so often that many times shame is not associated with it. But again, I can't look at society to define what the Lord has defined. In other words, if you ask society and you say, hey, tell me about the road to heaven. Do you think that they would say, the average person would say, oh, well, someone that uses obscenities, they they wouldn't be on the road to heaven. No, the average person would say, Oh, yeah, everybody's going to say things they shouldn't say from time to time. Was that going to be the standard for a saint? For someone that has chosen to imitate God? And each of these things, see, we can come back to this question. Let's say that that a man or a woman uses obscenities. We ask this simple question. Did you learn that while you were imitating God? That's what I have to ask myself. When we go to practice our day-to-day life, our conduct, our words that we say, did I learn that from God? Did I learn to act this way because I imitate God? Did I learn to talk this way because I imitate God? Did I learn to dress this way? Did I learn to form relationships with people in this way because I imitate God? My imitation of God needs to form everything about me as I walk in love. The foolish jesting. Have you seen someone where everything in their life is just always a joke? There's nothing serious. There's no depth. There's no building a a strong relationship. Uh, Everything is sarcasm. Everything is foolishness. He's saying... That's not the way to build a life. That's not the way to use your tongue. And then he even talks about vulgar jokes as he says in verse 4, narcose jesting. He's saying these things just ought not to be a part of the life of an individual that's a saint. Now he does say what should be there, but rather the heart and the tongue ought to be giving thanks. That's what's on the road. Now, notice how he describes this way to heaven and what is not on the way to heaven in verse 5 and 6. And he begins in 5 by saying, For this you know. In other words, 
Maybe you've been deceived, but if you really stop and think about it, he's saying to these brethren at Ephesus, if you really stop and think about it, you know this. No fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Again, he goes almost to the extreme to make the point. We're back on this road again of of what saints travel, walking in love, imitating God. And he says, let me tell you who's not on this road. Now, he's already said it in the previous verses. But he says it again, except this time he talks about what they're not going to receive at the end of the road. Fornicator, the unclean person, the covetous, the adulterer, what are they not going to receive? Any inheritance. None. Friends, I must realize that every road leads somewhere and every one of us are on a road. The road of righteousness and holiness to walk in love, imitating God, leads to heaven. The road of the heathen to walk in sexual immorality, to use our tongue to to tear people down and for coarse language. That is a road that is going in the opposite direction and it's going to the end of destruction. And there's no middle road. The two are going in opposite directions. There's no middle road. And we have to decide which one that we want to travel. And he says it clearly in 6 that we can be deceived by empty words. He says clearly in verse 6 that the wrath of God is going to be stirred against the sons of disobedience. And 7 he says don't be partakers with them. Have you believed a lie? Have you believed that just a little bit of sin is all right? Have you believed that, that just a little bit of profanity is all right? Have you believed that, that using God's name in vain just every now and then, that's, that's fine, everybody does. Have you believed that everybody tells a few vulgar jokes? Have you believed that a little bit of uncleanliness, especially if not many people know about it, that's, that's all right. Friends, I didn't write this text this morning. You and I just studied it together. And I'd have no authority to say this if it weren't in the Scriptures. But the Scriptures makes it very, very plain. There is a way toward heaven. And that way is made of individuals who have set their life apart in every way. Well, preacher, you think everybody's perfect then? No. That's why to have God's forgiveness, we have to repent. This morning, if you want to be baptized into Christ, the Lord asked you to repent. And repentance means a change of direction. And so maybe you've been on this pathway and you need to change your direction. We'd urge you to do that this morning. Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've let a little bit of uncleanliness come into your life. You've let a little bit of coarse language come into your life. Here's the thing. I can't come back to the right road until I repent. That's the beauty of God's grace. We don't deserve the forgiveness. But God will forgive us if we will turn away from that. The standard 
in our life must be, God, I want to imitate you. This morning, we're not asking who here is perfect. There would be no one on that road if we had to be perfect from our birth. This morning, we're asking who is an imitator of God. And when you realized that you were no longer an imitator of God, you repented and you changed the course of travel. We see little children imitate their fathers. And it really warms our heart. Can you imagine how it warms God's heart when He sees us make changes? And He knows that the only reason we're making those changes is because we love Him. This morning, if we can help you in any way, make changes to be more like God, please come as we stand and as we sing.